My presence is here because I always respond to hearts of thankfulness. As Jesus lifted up the bread and he gave thanks for it, I was then able to multiply and feed thousands upon thousands. As Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, it was as he lifted up his eyes and he said, I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. And it was in that moment that resurrection life flowed in to that tomb and raised up Lazarus. So it's in your hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude that you will see the release of the supernatural in your life. So be thankful. So be thankful. And in your thankfulness, you will see the release of my open hand over your lives. Says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him a shout of praise this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Amen. Hallelujah. Give someone a high five and amen. You can take your seats. Thank you, team. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. So glad that you joined us this morning. Heritage of faith, what heritage of faith is all about. One, why we exist is the Lord visited our founding pastors and 21 years ago and said, there's hurting people outside your walls. I want you to love them for me. Why we exist is, well, I mean, what we're called to do is to make winners in life. And how we, how we are doing that and how we endeavor to do that is an experience with God. You don't need an experience with Justin. You need an experience with God. I didn't get born again in church. I got born again in my sister's living room when I got healed. And uh, my life was forever changed. So my, my life, it, it all was established with an experience with God. The second thing was being equipped with the word. It's the word of God. His word is life and health to all our flesh. It's his word that teaches us. It's wor- the word is what let, gives me an idea of who he is. And the next thing is engage ourselves to influence the world around us. That's what heritage of faith is all about. Experience, equip, and engage. Amen. And so our desire is that you would experience him today. Our desire is that, that you would receive the word today and, and, and allow that word to change you. The word of God is what builds faith in our hearts. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the, the issue is in Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. And so, and so we, in order for faith to come, the word has to come. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 13.
Thank you, Lord. Um, Hebrews is coming out of my Bible, part of it. It's like, don't go anywhere. It's Hebrews chapter 13. I've been talking about altars. Just put this here. You know, this is probably message 13 and talking about altars. And, and we've learned so many awesome things about altars, things that getting into this study, I, things I wasn't aware of and things that I've, I've been learning along the way. I, I, I'm, I'm learning. We're all learning together, right? And, um, and, and we learned about altars, that altars are always a place of mercy. We learned that the altar is a, is a place of forgiveness, not only a place where we receive forgiveness, but also a place where we leave and go forgive someone else. We learn that altars are a place of forgiveness. It's a place of repentance. It's a place where we celebrate the finished works of Christ. And we learn that the altar isn't just a, a place in front of the stage at the church. It's not just a religious piece of furniture. But we learn that the altar is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, it says, we have an altar. We have an altar. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. See, what we saw Jesus doing when he was walking the earth, he is doing today. And he will do tomorrow. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse verse, uh, 10 says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. See, he's talking about religion versus relationship. He's talking about we have an altar and, and the religious Jews can't be a partaker on what's on the altar. Meaning they go and leave something in the altar and they leave and go back and they have to go back again to go back to that altar. And once again, they can't receive and part be a partaker of what's on the altar. I want you to know as New Testament believers, we have a right to partake of what's on the altar. There's, we're never without the answer to our solution. To our problem, we're never without the the uh, the uh, the um, the power on what's needed for whatever we might be facing. So we have an altar that they don't have a right to eat from. Verse eleven says, "For the bodies of those beasts," and it's talking about the sacrifices they would bring, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. So they would bring these animals and they would take the blood. The high priest would, would be the one that would uh, go over and they would take those beasts, beasts outside the camp and they would burn those beasts there once the blood was offered. The high priest did it. But I'm so grateful that we have a high priest. Right? A high priest in the heavens. That Hebrews 4 says that, that, that we can come boldly. And that we have a high priest. That's not made like unto man. We have a high priest. That's not like the natural high priest. We have a high priest and therefore, because we have that high priest and I can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And then it says this, it says, wherefore Jesus also, 
So we have an altar in verse 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He suffered outside the gate. So he, he's comparing it. He's comparing what the Old Testament did and what the priest did. Now he's saying, and we have Jesus who did the same thing for us. So let us go therefore unto him. <laughs> let us go therefore unto him. We have an altar today. We have an altar and the altar is Jesus. And it tells us that we need to go unto him. But this morning, as I deal with this, I want to deal with this, the scripture before this. And we've talked a lot about this. You can go online, go to SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and go back and listen to past messages. But I want to, I want to deal with verse 12 today. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Suffered without the gate. Now, the last two weeks on this topic of altars, I've been talking about consecration. And, um, and in that word consecration, we learned it means to give ourselves to something. It means to set ourselves apart to something. And we saw, we saw this with Jesus. We saw it with Abraham. We saw it with Paul. We saw it with Jesus when Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will be done. That was a, that was a statement of consecration. Let this cup pass from me. And if this cup can pass from me, hey, Jesus saying, hey, I'm all for it. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. That was a prayer of consecration. And, and there's, a, there's a soberness to consecration. You know, think about it. You know, we're to surrender all. Consecration, that's a, there's a soberness to that. N- not a heaviness. Religion has, has, has looked at, at consecration as this heaviness that you have to cry and you have to moan and you have to, you have to, you know, beat yourself up for your failures and beat yourself up for your sins. No, hey, hey, God poured his wrath out on Jesus so he wouldn't have to pour it out on me. So yeah, there needs to be a soberness, but at the same time, the altar is a place of soberness, but I have to see that also the altar is a place of celebration. Because, see, see, the altar is a place of exchange. The altar is a place of exchange. Yes, I go and surrender, but at the same time, yes, I go and, and, and die to self. I go and, and present a gift. Yes, I go and give something that costs me something. Yes, I do those things, but at the same time, I don't leave the altar empty-handed. Yes, I go and release something, but at the same time, I have to understand as a New Testament believer, I'm there to receive something. You see, when I go to the altar, yes, I surrender my will to his, but at the same time, I'm also receiving his strength for my weakness. I'm receiving his inability. I'm, I'm receiving his grace for my inability. You see, there, there, there is an exchange that takes place at the altar. So when you, we come unto Jesus and we bring our life before Jesus, there's, I'm leaving my sin and I'm taking new life. There's an exchange. I'm, I'm taking my old nature and giving to him. And now he's placed within me a new nature. I'm a, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So we have to see this altar is a place of exchange. Yes, I go and surrender, but at the same time, I receive everything that's on that altar. 
I'll receive everything that's available on that altar. You see, when I go to him who is love, when I go to him who is the word, when I go to him who is the life, everything changes. When I go to this book, he is the word, the word that became flesh, flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When I go to him, everything changes. That's why we should never leave an altar, a time of prayer, a time of praise the same. Because when I go to him, I'm not going to leave empty handed. You know what? You may come with your emptiness, but, but I'm telling you the point of you bringing your emptiness is for you to leave full. See, it's an exchange. It's an exchange. So let's look at this. I'm reading this in the Amplified in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, Jesus also suffered and died outside the city gates in order that he might purify and consecrate the people. Now, I've been talking about our role in consecration. We talked about Isaiah. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, I live in a, in a land of, uh, of people that are, that are unclean. And he took those coals, he put it on his, on his lips, and, and he, he became cleansed. And he said, he said, and he heard a voice say, you know, who shall go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so there's this aspect of consecration. But with the Holy Spirit, what, what I believe the Lord wants us to learn about today is understanding the most important consecration is what Jesus did. See, we can talk about what we can do. But Vic, what we have is not much. I mean, think about what Jesus says here. Therefore, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates in order that he might purify and consecrate the people. Through the shedding of his own blood. Now, there was no plan after worship on what was going to happen today. I didn't know the Lord was going to have Eric sing that. He didn't know he was going to sing that. But the, it was through his blood that he consecrated you, Matt, that consecrated you, Susan. I mean, without what Jesus did, see, I think it's Ephesians that says, what by grace are we saved through faith? And that not of ourselves, it is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift from God. I don't care how much you cry on that altar. Your tears mean nothing without what the blood did. And we, sometimes we can take pride in, in our tears and, and, and pride and, and, and how long we pray and how long we worship and all those things. But those things mean nothing apart from the gift of what Jesus made available. His very gift was the reason I can come boldly to the throne of grace and I can receive everything that he has for me. Uh, Ephesians says, it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works, lest any man, I can't boast 
about anything that Justin can do. I can't boast about my role at this church. I can't boast about preaching. I can't, because I'm telling you without him, you don't want to hear Justin preach because Justin would have nothing to say. Can I get an amen? You, you see, it's this, it's this life of consecration and, and, and we can look at consecration as something exterior I do, but never to truly receive the fact of what Christ has done. Hallelujah. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So Jesus consecrated us through his own blood. Now, one of the definitions I used for consecration, and I want to throw this in real quick, is giving myself over to the will of God. Consecration is giving myself over to the will of God. Now, we can look at the will of God as our occupation. We can look at the will of God based on my calling in ministry. And we can get caught up in in those things. But if we don't understand what I'm going to deal with today, none of those other things matter. So consecration is, so when Jesus said, I consecrated them through my blood, he's saying, I set them apart for the will of God. But what's the will of God? That's a big, that's a big question. And I, and I could, I could go through and show you places where, where it tells us. So a lot of times people are at, you know, what's the will of God for my life? And, and they're trying to worry about all these other things in, in meaning their actions and what they're called to do their job, what they're going to do with their hands. When if we just went to the word first and we realize what is his will for me? I'm telling you, it answers a lot of those questions. And I throw this in there years ago, the Lord said, I said, Lord, what's, what's the will of God for my life? What, what have you called me to do? And am I called to do this? Am I called to be a missionary? Am I called to do these things? And am I called to be a worship leader? And my wife says, no, please no. But, and this is what the Lord said. He goes, Justin, if you can take care of your eternal call, if you can take care of your eternal call, you'll never have to worry about your earthly call. And our eternal call is worship. That's the only thing. There's two things that we're going to do forever, and that is worship and operate in authority. I'm going to rule and reign with him forever. So, so, so those, those are, those are the base two things is, is worship and authority. Those are the things that, and, and both those things come down to love and faith. So that's just a side note. But what, what I, I want us to see is this will for our lives this morning. He consecrated me by his blood. Consecrated to set myself apart for his will. So let's look at Luke chapter 12. Thank you, Lord. Uh, For the sake of time, we could read really verse 22 to 34, but for the sake of time, let's look at 29. He says, And seek not ye what you shall eat and what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, 
And all these things shall be added to you. So if I'm not seeking natural things, but yet I'm seeking the kingdom, then all the things that I really think I need are going to come to me. The kingdom. All these things will be added to me. They'll be, they'll be heaped on me. They'll be placed on me. So when I seek first the kingdom, then, see, see we, 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 we live because we're so, we're so moved by our senses and we're so moved by news. We're so moved by our feelings. When we just need to be moved by the kingdom. Because if I'm moved by the kingdom, then my feelings have to fall in line with the kingdom. Verse 32 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The word good pleasure to give, this phrase means willing, ready, and determined. The father is willing and ready and determined to give you the kingdom. Let me ask another question. So what is the kingdom? There's... We could, we could, I could, we could do a 10 week series on what the kingdom is, but Romans chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy ghost. That's what the kingdom is. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And I'm not going to get on that this morning. It's my father's desire, his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Meaning everything that the kingdom offers, he wants to be yours, Rick. Jose and Katie, everything that's in the kingdom, he wants to give it to you. God's not keeping one thing from you. There's nothing he's holding out. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm just going to do some teaching. 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you, Father. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, in the Amplified it says, For Christ, the Messiah himself, died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, that he might bring us to God. Wow. So now think, the ultimate reason for Christ dying for us is what? So Christ could bring us to God. See, Adam and Eve fell in the garden and there was a separation between God and man. And so the reason why Jesus died was so he could bring us to God. He says, for the righteous, for the unrighteous, the just, for the unjust, the innocent, for the guilty, that he might bring us to God in his human body. He was put to death, but he was made alive in the spirit. 
See, this was, this was big on God's heart. This was big on God's heart that Vic, he didn't want to be without, of his, cre- be, be, be without his creation. You know, uh, you know, Corey, uh, our, our oldest son, he asked, uh, asked me a question. He said, so what happened to all the people that went before in Jesus' day? Because if there wasn't salvation, then, then, why, then, then how could people be saved? Is, are all those people in hell today? And so I had to explain to him, and I had to go through Scripture. And, and some, some of you might have asked that same question. Well, I'm glad you asked it. Because the next verse tells us, exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Because you have to understand the father's heart. He wishes no one to perish. The next verse says, in which he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. So when Jesus preached the gospel in hell, and then it tells us, it says that the souls of those who long before in the days of Noah had been disobedient when God patient waited during the building of the ark in which a few actually eight in number were saved through water. So I, I read that because I wanted you to see God's heart is always after his creation. And contrary to what some people might tell you, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Hell is hell, not because hell's hot. Hell's hell because God's not there. So if you had a misconception about God this morning, I, I want your eyes to be open to who my savior is and who, who, who my creator is this morning. He's not sending anyone to hell. The only thing that will send you to hell is rejecting Jesus because he's the all sufficient sacrifice. And once he died for all. The innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That's an exchange. So when I go to Jesus and because of the blood of Jesus, he consecrated me and he separated me. So when I go unto him, now I've consecrated myself to what God's will was for my life. And I'm not talking about an occupation or a ministry calling. I'm talking about his ultimate call for us as believers. Why? Because it's his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What did he consecrate us for and to? I believe when Jesus does something, he does it right. So when he consecrated us by the blood of Jesus, it was enough. It was sufficient. Hallelujah. Now, so I'm doing some teaching. I, I believe you're going to shout in just a moment here. <laughs> just a little bit longer. Just, man, this chapter five is, man, so good. Um, thank you, Father. Mm. This is verse 15. I've got to read this verse. It said, he died for all. This is the Amplified. And he died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him and we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, infused in Christ, 
He's a new creation. The old has passed and behold, the fresh and new has come. See, Matt, I don't judge you no longer after Matt. See, that's one of our biggest problems in the body of Christ in the church is, is we too much judge people after their failures. And we judge people after their weaknesses and we judge people too much after, after their fleshly side. But here says we no longer, we, we no longer can judge Jesus by that. We used to, we used to look at Jesus as just a man, but oh, man, we found out who Jesus really was. He, we no longer judge him after the flesh. But we realize that now I don't judge Matt after, after his mistakes anymore. I judge Matt now that he's a new creation. Now, that's not making any excuses for sin. That's not the point of that. But most people don't realize that, wait a minute, my spirit man has never sinned. That makes people go tilt. <laughs> man, I wish I had three weeks to preach this message, but... Go to 19. It was God. Now listen to this. It was God personally present in Christ. Reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. Man. I'm telling you, if we really understood the word of God, whoa. It was God personally present in Christ. Why was he in Christ? He was reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation under restoration of favor. Now then, so because of that, we're now ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. So Jesus that didn't know sin was made sin. So Justin could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm righteous. Oh, you say, well, Pastor, yeah, I heard, you know, there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, you, you, that, that is a scripture. <laughs> but we're not talking about my righteousness. Yes, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes, yes. But I'm not talking about my righteousness. Yes. I'm talking about his righteousness. Yes. I've been made righteous. Yes. I've been made righteous. If I've been made a man, then that's what I am. If you've been made a woman, that's what you've been made to be. If Jesus made me righteous, then that's what I am. And don't try to talk me out of it. Well, you say, well, pastor, I, I saw, I, I saw your bad attitude. Hey, hey, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. We're not, I, I've been made righteous, but I want you to know that my soul was catching up to my righteousness. 
my natural mind is catching up to what God made me to be. You, you see, we have to, we have to totally renew our minds to what Jesus consecrated us to. And he consecrated us to the fact that we are righteous. That is the will of God for my life. So when we come to the altar and we bring our unrighteousness, I receive and leave with his righteousness. Why? I've been made righteous. Let's go to Romans chapter five. Someone say amen. Thank you, Valinda. <laughs> Romans chapter five. This is another, you can read this whole chapter as well. The whole book of Romans on this. For the sake of time, let's look at verse eight. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We shall be saved from wrath. You've been saved from wrath. Now, there is, there is, a, there is a judgment. There is a judgment. But the judgment comes not because, of, not because of God cursing us. It's pretty much he put laid a thing out. Jesus is my answer. He's the only way. And no, no, no all religions don't go to the same place. But God commended his love. He commended his love. He commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many people remember when you got born again? Wow. Don't ever forget that. Go back and remember that moment, that time. You know, for me, it was like I, it was something brand new went off on the inside of me. I can't explain it with natural words. Something happened. But I'm telling you, the enemy is a punk. I'm telling you, you know, it's like you, it's like you get saved. You made Jesus the Lord of your life. And all of a sudden things look brighter. Things look clear. But over a period of time, the, the enemy will always bring temptations. And, 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 and we still have this flesh that, you know, is at enmity with God. And if you don't re- get in the word and renew your mind, you'll continue to, to, Live under what God created you to live to, to be. But then all of a sudden, after I started going back into things I came out of, all of a sudden I felt like I had to earn righteousness. And the church is filled with people that have no understanding of who they are because they still measure themselves according to their current sin or past sins. But let me ask you a question. Did, what did you do to get saved in the first place? While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You messed up and you missed the mark. I'm telling Repent and quit it and go forward. Repent, pick up your righteousness and go forward. Repent, pick up your righteousness and go forward.
While he, while he, while he loved us, he commended his love towards us. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death. The word reconciled means to restore to favor. We are restored to favor by his death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement, meaning reconciliation. Let's look at verse 17. For if by one man's offenses death reigned. Who's that one man? Adam. For by Adam's offenses death reigned by one. Much more they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. Wow. Now think about it. Through one man's death, death reigned to every single one of us. Much more they that receive the abundance of grace and what? The gift of righteousness. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. The gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one. Wow. See, what Adam did brought condemnation to every single one of us. But by the righteousness of one, Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So through what Jesus did, what Jesus did because of his obedience, many would be made righteous. It's made. It's not become. If I become, then it's a process. But when I made it, that's what I am. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Can we, can we thank God for that? Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you that you've made me righteous. You've made me righteous. Can you, can you thank him for righteousness, that he's made you righteous today? I don't care what you did last night. How, as you brought your life before God, I'm telling you, you, you are righteous. You are righteous. You are justified. Just as if you've never sinned. The moment you made Jesus of the Lord of your life, you were as righteous as you'll ever be. You've been made righteous. Thank you, Father. Go to John 17. John 17. Second time, I'm just going to look at. Oh, thank you, Lord. Verse 24. It says, Father, I will, I will. Jesus saying, Father, I will. Jesus is letting us know what his desire is. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. 
Oh, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I've known you and these have known that you sent me and I have declared unto them thy name. What does it, what does that mean? I declared unto them that name. I've, I've declared unto them your nature. I've declared unto you your character. I've declared unto them who you are. And now listen to this and will declare it. Will declare it. Meaning, meaning that he was going to constantly be revealing the father. This is one of his last prayers. This is before he's betrayed and this is before he dies. But yet he says, I'm going to, I made your name known to them and I will declare it. I will declare it. I, I will declare it. I, I believe even from heaven. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's still speaking to us from heaven about who God is. And I will declare unto them thy name and will declare it. Now this, that the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. You know what? God loves you just as much as he loved Jesus. Wow. Now let's go to first John chapter three. So Jesus consecrated us by his blood. So the first thing I wanted you to see is that he consecrated me so I would be made righteous. Thank you. First John chapter three. Thank you, Lord. First John chapter three, verse one. Remember, he just prayed that the same love that you have for me may be in them, right? The same love. The same love. And, and, you know, he had such a love for Jesus, such a love for his son. What did he say from heaven? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want, you to, I want you to know that God is declaring from heaven something over your life today. Why? Because he has the same love. Jesus said, the same love you have for me, you have for them. And Jesus knew, hey, the father, you know, I love the son and in whom I'm well pleased. He's declaring something from heaven over us today. Because he loves us just as much as he loved Jesus. So what is he declaring over us? Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us. Look at your neighbor and said, he's bestowed his love on us. The word bestow means to give. It means to give freely. It's the father's good pleasure. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Whoa. Wow. See, this is what he consecrated us to. Not only am I righteous, but Jesus even took it a step further that I am a son of God. Behold, what love the father has upon us that he would call us sons, sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it didn't know him. Verse two, beloved, now are we the sons of God. 
Now are we the sons of God? One, it's not one day when you get to heaven, you're going to be a son. No, you're a son right now. You're a son right now. You're righteous right now. Because of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus was sent to consecrate me into the will of God. And the will of God is that I would be righteous and that I would be a son of God. So when I come to that altar, I may come as a slave, but when I leave that altar, I leave as a son. You may come to an altar and be in bondage because you're a son. You leave free. You may come with sorrow, but hey, you don't leave with sorrow. You leave with joy. Why? Because you're a son. This is us consecrating ourselves to the will of God. You're righteous and you're a son and you're a daughter of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord, that you have made us sons, that you loved us so much that you called us sons. And now are we the sons of God? Now I'm a son of God. Say that with me. Now I'm a son of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Don't leave the ladies out. Now I'm a daughter of God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We'll just do it all, all, all encompass. Say, I'm a child of God. I'll come from him. His righteousness is all on the inside of me. Because that's what I made. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, let's, we might close with this. Go, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Hallelujah. John chapter 1. Thank you, Father. See, your faith has to be involved in what I'm preaching today. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't a sermon today. This isn't just a good message. It's our life. This is the substance of Christianity, but yet very few people have heard it. I know I'm preaching, I mean, you've been here many years, you've heard us teach, and, and that's so I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle you and that you haven't heard this before. If you have heard this before, I'm, I'm reminding you in, by stirring up a way of remembrance. Because this is, this is the believer's life. This is why Jesus came, not just so you could say you went to he- go, go to heaven one day. Jesus didn't come just to give you a get out of hell free card. This was so we could then not just be made like him, but to be like him. So let's mix your faith what I've preached up to this time. Verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Wow. But as many as received him, many as received him, he gave them power. Power. 
The word power is defined as right and privilege. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. You have a right to be a son of God. Don't let anyone talk you out of it. Even to them that believe on his name. Do you believe on his name? Will you believe on his name? If you, you believe on his name, when we believe on his name, we've been made, we, we've been, we've been made sons of God. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. But as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, what, why does he say this? You weren't born into this. doesn't matter what color your skin might be. doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter if you were orphaned. It doesn't matter if you were abused. It doesn't matter. If you grew up in the Middle East under a different religion, it doesn't matter. You were, it says you were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, meaning I couldn't do anything. It wasn't based on my will, Rochelle. It wasn't based on anything any personal person could do. It wasn't the will of man. Man couldn't make this happen. But what? But of God. It was the will of God. God's will for your life is that you and I would be sons and daughters of God. Go to Romans 8, and I'll close with this. Romans 8. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 8. He consecrated us by his blood so we would be made righteous. And the will of God is for us to be sons and daughters of God. Man, can you, can you just thank him for that for a moment? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Why is this so important? Thank you, Father. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. King James says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't know what... You know, we've gone through the most weird things as a nation over the last year and a half. We've seen so much division, so much chaos, so much instability. And here it says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. See, right now we've seen a lot of sufferings, but I'm telling you, whatever we've been facing and whatever you might be facing right now in your personal life and whatever we might be facing as a nation or as a world, I'm telling you, there's nothing that compared to the glory that will be revealed on the church. 
It's going to get darker and darker in the world. And, and I'm telling you, we could try to pray out darkness and we could try to do, but no, it's according to scripture and according to Isaiah that it says gross darkness would, would cover the earth and gross darkness of people. But it said, uh, but, but the glory of the Lord would rise upon you. And he's talking about the church. See, the glory needs to rise on the church. But if the church doesn't know who we are, if the church doesn't know, if you don't know who you are, you'll settle for the suffering in the world. But when you know who you are, then you realize that, the, that what I'm about to experience is far greater than anything I'm currently experiencing. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The, for the earnest expectation of the creature, it's all about creation. All creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You know, it didn't say the, the all creation is waiting for Jesus. It says all of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I'm telling you, the earth and the world and the people in the world, whether they realize it or not, are waiting for you to step up. They're waiting for you and I to step up and, and for the sons of God and the daughters of God to come out into the open. The word manifest means to come out into the open. So all creation is earnestly expecting and waiting. The world doesn't know what it's waiting for. But I'm telling you, Paul says they're waiting for the sons of God to step up. But you know what? You'll never step up to be a son of God if you don't know you're a son of God. So I'm telling you, I've given you no, I've given you no excuse. You have no excuse to say you're not righteous. You have no excuse to say you're not a child of God. Now, my encouragement prophetically is step up. Step into who you are and step up because the world's waiting on you. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in the word of God. I thank you for the freedom that's in this place. I thank you for a freedom to be. A freedom to be not the, what the world may label, but the freedom to be what you label us. I don't care what labels may have been placed on people this morning. And I declare that all the labels that the world has placed on them fall to the ground today. And the bondages that come with those labels to be broken today. And that today they leave here with the label. They are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And they leave here today with the label, I'm a child of God. I declare that they will step into what you've made them to be. And I thank you they will step up into being the sons of God. Because I'm telling you, we have a world that needs peace. We have a world that needs joy. We have a world that needs love. We have a world that needs freedom. The world does not need our acceptance of their sin. The world needs 
the compassion of God that has the ability to set all men free. So we rejoice in that today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a shout of praise today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.